Welcome to Online Chapel at Washita, where seating is not a sign and attendance will not be taken. And now would you give a warm Washita welcome to our host, James Taylor. On today's episode of the Washita Chapel Podcast, we're going to hear from Dr. Scott Duvall, a professor at the Pruitt School of Christian Studies here at Washita. Dr. Duvall has been sharing devotionals from Psalm 46 with students and colleagues over the last couple weeks, and we asked him to record a message that we could share based on what he's written. For those listeners who may not be familiar with Dr. Duvall, I'd encourage you to find his author page on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Among his writings, you'll find the recent printing of The Heart of Revelation on the major themes of the last book of the Bible, and he's also recently co-authored the book God's Relational Presence with fellow Washita professor Danny Hayes. As you listen to this episode, you may want to have a Bible in front of you to follow along. And now we'll turn it over to Dr. Scott Duvall on Psalm 46. I heard a sermon oh, a few weeks ago on Psalm 46, and the pastor encouraged us to memorize it. And I just realized I learn better when I process by studying and writing. So I thought I would write just my thoughts about that psalm. And it came at a good time. I mean, it's the end of March. Coronavirus is, you know, about all we're talking about. Um, I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. And I know as followers of Jesus, we know that our hope doesn't depend on this world, but gosh, this is crazy. This is crazy stuff. And trials are ambushing us, it feels like. And we just need to be reminded and comforted and reassured. We need to hear from the Lord. And sometimes we turn to the book of Psalms, and I I just hope and pray that these reflections will encourage you um, and people you love. You can get um, a copy of the written reflections if you'd like. Um, I'm just going to read a verse or two and then give some thoughts on that, and we'll walk our way through the psalm. The, the first verse says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. And truthfully, God is our refuge. I mean, we can't have a refuge in this world because things are so fragile. He's our safe place, our retreat. When we're afraid, we go to God. And there's a lot of fear going around right now. He is also our strength, He's our power. And that's the same word Jesus used in Acts 1.8 when he said, you will have power when the Spirit comes on you. He's our place of refuge. He's our source of strength. But none of that would do any good if we couldn't get to it. It's easy to think of things that might help when sometimes they're a world away. And what we need is safety and strength that are really close by. And the psalmist says, God is our ever-present helper. He is a helper who is always found. Uh, the one who cares enough to share his unlimited resources with us. He's always near. He's, I think, nearer to us than we are to ourselves. And, you know, when life goes along as usual, we don't really think much about how vulnerable we are, but we just take a lot for granted. Uh, even the chance to be together. I mean, I never thought that just one week in March, all of a sudden, you can't meet your classes anymore. Really weird. A crisis hits, everything changes, and the word trouble that the psalmist used is the word for tribulation or trial or distress. 
And quite literally, we are going through a tribulation right now. The Old Testament has two versions, a Hebrew Old Testament and a Greek Old Testament, and most of the first Christians would have probably read from the Greek Old Testament. And the Greek Old Testament says this, God is our refuge and strength, a helper in tribulations, the ones which find us exceedingly. I like the way they, the psalmist put that. These trials are extreme, they're terrible, and it's like they're chasing us. And in the rest of verse 2, the psalmist explains how terrible they are. And that's what we're facing now, a chaotic natural catastrophe of great magnitude. And it's exactly in this kind of situation that we find our even greater helper, God, who's our refuge and strength, and he's always there. Verse 2 says, verses 2 and 3 say this, Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though the water, though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. I don't know about you guys, but I like to be in control. I'll admit it. There are some things, though, that I just can't control. And it's taken me a lifetime to learn that I can't control everything, but it's true. Uh, I can't control the weather. I can't control what other people do. I can't control the bad things that sometimes happen to people we love. I can't control viral pandemics. When it hits us that we really can't control every circumstance, sometimes we start to fear. One dictionary of the Greek language that I really like says fear is this. It's a state of severe distress aroused by intense concern for impending pain or danger. That even sounds fearful. Fear can come on us when we think about bad things, even if they haven't happened or even if they never happened. Sometimes fear is what rises up within us. And the psalmist says, we will not be afraid though, though the world should fall apart. And he pictures earthquakes and floods and cataclysmic natural disasters things we can't control. When this happens, and it will happen because our world is broken, we don't need to fear. We don't need to go into a state of severe distress. In other words, when all hell breaks loose and the world falls apart, don't freak out. You don't have to. Well, how can we keep from it? And then we're back to the word therefore in verse 2. It points us back to our God, who is strong. He's always with us. He's our place of refuge, our source of strength. Arkansas has its share of tornadoes, and in 1997, a really bad tornado hit Arkadelphia. So when we built a house in 2003, it definitely had a tornado bunker in it. Uh, it's just concrete and steel. It's kind of creepy, uh, but if there's a tornado bearing down, that's the place to be. The psalmist is saying that God is our bunker. He's our fortress, our strength, our power, our, our always present helper. He's not going anywhere. He's always with us. And so you don't have to let fear overwhelm you. You don't have to let fear paralyze you. If you know much about church history, you've probably heard the name Martin Luther. He was one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation, and he wrote a hymn in the early 1500s based on Psalm 46, and it's entitled, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Here are the words. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, a bunker <laughs> never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, 
For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And though this world with devils filled, Luther writes, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And he finishes with this stanza. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. When it looks like the world's falling apart, as it does now, God's powerful presence is like an unshakable rock, the New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce said. He's our safe stronghold. He's the one who will get us through. Verses 4 and 5 read this way. There is a river, streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. I just mentioned Martin Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and how it draws on Psalm 46. But I'm not sure, I didn't know this really, but did you, did you know that when the bubonic plague hit Luther's city, Wittenberg, Germany, in 1527, that Luther and his wife, Katharina, who was pregnant at the time, chose to stay and minister to the sick and dying? You can read about that in his little pamphlet, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. And Luther tried to combine realism, medicine, things like social distancing, with faith, love for your sick neighbor. Luther's hymn was written just a couple of years after this plague, I'm told, and maybe in response to it. I really am looking forward to what God is going to do in response to our crisis. I think he's going to do some pretty cool things. Today's verses come from verses 4 and 5 again, and they, they speak about a river. It has been raining a lot this spring in Arkansas, and we are blessed with a lot of water. But if you go to the Middle East... If you go to Israel, if you go to Jerusalem, water is like gold. We never have to worry about dying of thirst here, but having enough water in that part of the world is, is huge. Uh, it's a life or death issue. So when we read that God, that in God's city there's a river, a never-ending supply of life, it's very comforting. In our lives today, in the middle of this whole mess, God will never stop sending us life. It's just like this powerful river rushing at you. The Greek Old Testament translation of this verse, I think, makes it even more powerful. It, it says, the violent rush of the river cheers or encourages the city of God. The Most High consecrated His dwelling place. God is in the midst of her. They, and I think here, God's city is God's people. They will not be shaken. They will not be disturbed. God will help her with His face, with his, with his presence. So God's life comes at us like, like a river. And this isn't a tiny trickling stream. This is like a, just a massive, powerful, rushing river. 
In the book of Revelation, the river runs from the throne of God, from God's presence. And the river of life in Revelation, I think, represents God's life-giving presence. God never leaves us. He's always with us. And the rest of Psalm 46 is going to tell us that same thing. God the Most High makes His dwelling place, His people, holy. God is with His people. The city, God's people, will never be shaken or disturbed or thrown off because, because God will help her with His face. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that crazy good? God will help her with His personal presence. Verses 6 and 7 read this way. Nations rage, kingdoms topple, the earth melts when He lifts His voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. In this part of the psalm, you see a, a, a really strong contrast between the craziness of this world and the steadfastness of God. Pretty much our daily experience right now, wouldn't you say? One thing is happening with the nations, the kingdoms, the earth, while a very different and a much better thing is going on with the Lord of armies, the God of Jacob. This means that we can't really trust our world to give us security or comfort or hope ultimately. I mean, just look at, look at how the world's dealing with this. I mean, they're doing the best they can, but it still just feels really shaky and fragile to me. That kind of help only comes from the Lord. So I think the first thing we need to do as Christians is to stop trying to find reassurance from all of our news feeds. We're, we're, we're searching these things thinking, okay, I've got to hear something really good because that'll make me feel okay. And you're going to get bits and pieces of good news, I hope, but nothing consistent and deep and lasting. Uh, got news for you. This is probably the not, not the last crisis you're going to face in life. The psalmist says the nations rage. And in the Greek Old Testament, the idea is that the nations were stirred up. They were shaken. They were unsettled. And our world really is terrified and confused, to be honest. Kingdoms fall, we're told. Even the stable of governments or kingdoms can be thrown into a downward spiral pretty quickly. God makes his voice heard and the earth is shaken. The earth melts. The psalmist doesn't tell us how God's actions frighten the nations, but somehow they do. Does God do something directly or does he simply allow this sinful world to go its own way for a bit? We don't know. But the end result for our world is the same, an unsettled fear. The panic these days is almost palpable. You ever find yourself looking at people when you go places and thinking, you know, do they have it? <laughs> it's, I, I get looks like I'm the enemy somehow. But as God's people, we're not hopeless. The Lord of armies is with us. And this, this could be translated the Lord of powers or the Lord who is the strongest of all is with us. This is a military term suggesting God, the God who's with us is our warrior God. He fights for us. The God of Jacob, or Israel, is our helper. Our God has been the God of His people from the very beginning. The God of our ancestor Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. This God is our helper, our protector, our stronghold, our refuge, our strength. So how is God with us? Well, several ways, I think. First, when the emotion of fear just rises up in you, and it, and it might then you have the privilege of saying, hey, Lord, we need to talk about this. You can have a conversation with the Lord anywhere. So prayer is one of the ways God is with us. Lord, I'm scared a lot, but I trust you. 
Lord, this feels very panicky and unsettling. So take away these worries and, and give me confidence in you instead. A second way the Lord is with us is He's put His Holy Spirit within us, who, those of us who follow Jesus Christ, and the Spirit brings us comfort and peace. And it's often very unexpected and at just the right time. And wow, it's good. And then we have each other. Now, we may be social distancing, but, you know, we're, we're part of, of a family of people who follow Jesus, and we care for each other. And I'm, I'm very thankful for some kind of electronic communication when I don't, you know, have, have people's presence. So God is with us. Prayer, the Spirit, the church. Verses 8 and 9. Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes war cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. The Greek Old Testament reads this way. Come see the works of the Lord, which he sets as wonders upon the earth, removing wars until the ends of the earth. He will crush the bow and shatter the weapon. He will burn shields with fire. So we're invited to come and see something, something the Lord is doing. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's doing. That's never a bad thing. Sometimes we see the Lord's works made visible in our world, and other times you have to kind of see with the eyes of faith, almost deep into the hearts of people, how God is working. The Hebrew Old Testament invites us to see the Lord's devastation or judgment on the earth, how God has brought down mighty rulers and kingdoms so that peace may come. What one writer called tranquility on the far side of judgment. The Greek Old Testament invites us to see the Lord's wonders, as in signs and wonders. And in the end, I think they both come to about the same place. God is the God of peace. And one day, He will establish peace on earth to the people He favors. That's taken from Luke chapter 2 and the birth stories. As this pandemic worsens, we will see the best and the worst of humanity, I predict, the worst will likely include chaos and lawlessness and selfishness and vicious conflict. Fearful people will commit acts of violence against others, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. But verse 8 reminds us that the Lord will still do amazing things, things that bring peace. That is God's heart. God is at war with the turmoil and violence that turn invaluable human beings into obstacles and enemies. And verse 9 explains... God will one day defeat all his enemies and destroy their weapons, bows, spears, wagons, or shields. He will make people stop fighting. I think every parent knows how painful it is when your children fight. Um, you probably know how painful it is when you know a couple of roommates are fighting or when you have fights with each other if you're married. It's just like a dagger to your heart. One day, the God who is the God of peace will bring universal peace on the earth. When God's kingdom has fully and finally arrived, a kingdom that Jesus began, wars will cease. For those who have a personal relationship with Jesus, God has already started this work of peace. Uh, we have a community of kingdom people, and we love them, and they love us. And we're seeing now how much we take for granted just getting together, just being together much less serving together. Um, I think we're going to be together again pretty soon. I'm optimistic about that. 
But in the meantime, these verses really encourage us to model God's peace now as much as we can. In every interaction with people, we can model submission to the God of peace. We can love each other deeply. The psalm concludes with verses 10 and 11, and I've you know, confess that I learned a lot from, from these verses. It reads, Stop your fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. To finish the psalm, God himself speaks. Is he speaking to the nations or to his people? It's kind of hard to tell, but it seems to apply to both. In fact, God might just be speaking to all of creation, reminding us and them and the whole world that He alone is God. This kind of reminds me of Jesus yelling at the wind and the waves in Mark chapter 4. Quiet, be still. He could have been rebuking the demonic powers that stirred up the sea as well as rebuking the disciples for their lack of faith. Just telling all of them, I'm God. I have the power over everything. What God says in Psalm 46, 10, verse 10, has sometimes been misread, I think, and a common translation is, be still and know that I am God. That's not a bad translation, but sometimes we tend to hear God telling us to get quiet and be still so you can hear His voice, or we, we picture God asking us to turn off our minds so He can reveal Himself to us or something like that. But there's a lot more going on here than just, you know, settling in for a good quiet time or taking up meditation or something. There are two commands for us here, and they're, they're, t- they're connected. The first tells us what not to do, and the second tells us what to do. The first has often been translated, be still. Other translations include, stop fighting, stop your striving, cease striving. My favorite dictionary of the Greek language says it this way. Be unoccupied, or it puts it another way that I also really like, stand empty. God seems to be telling us to stop freaking out, stop trying to fix everything we can't control. And I just almost picture myself standing before God, my head's bowed, my arms and and my hands are just hanging limp, my shoulders are hunched forward, and I'm, I'm whispering to God, I got nothing. I am standing empty before you. I got nothing. And the Lord's almost, it's almost like he's replying, well, it's about time. I think the Lord's telling us to give it up. So many of our worries and our anxieties come from this this deep place of thinking that we're supposed to fix everything. It's our duty to just tame the chaos in our lives. And that's not true. That's not real. God is here rebuking our restlessness our fretfulness, our self-centered hyperactivity. Some things, probably many things actually, like global pandemics, we cannot control. We don't know what's going to happen, but we know something deeper and more rock solid. We know God. It reminds me of the time in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Aslan, who is the uh, the great lion and the Christ figure in the book, he explains to the children how his death was not the end and how he can now stand before them very much alive. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch, she's the evil figure in the book, though the witch knew the deep magic, there's a magic deeper still which she did not know. 
Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. And now, isn't that great? Our world knows of a deep magic that often causes chaos and trials and tribulations, but Jesus knows of a deeper, a deeper power, His very presence. Just a few final thoughts. We will have times of trouble. We're, we're promised that. Uh, we live in a broken, sinful world, and we're in the middle of a pretty tough trial right now. God has not left us alone He is speaking to us, and one of the places that He speaks is Psalm 46. You can sum it up this way. God speaks about, first, our circumstances. He says, you will have trials. Then He speaks about Himself. He says, I'm your powerful refuge, your strength, your stronghold. I'm your helper, and I am with you. And then God speaks about our faith. We will not be afraid. We will stand empty in ourselves but strong in the Lord. We can know that God is God. You'll also notice in most Bibles that the word selah occurs a couple of times in this psalm. And this is kind of a Hebrew musical term that appears about 70 times in the psalms. We're not really sure what it means, but it seems to indicate some kind of musical or liturgical sign, maybe maybe even calling for a pause. And it got me thinking about pauses, uh, for all the evils that this virus brings, it does offer us a chance to slow down, think about what's really important in life, build some really healthy habits of walking with God and loving our family and friends, even if sometime from a distance. And I just pray that the Lord will use this time, this downtime in a way in your life to, to make your relationship with Him closer. I would encourage you not to waste it. Um, Don't just get bored and run to the next thing. Read His Word. Talk to Him. uh, Journal. You know, give God some time and space to work really, really deeply in your heart. And you know, Psalm 46 was meant to be sung. And um, if you have Spotify or or some other, you know, musical uh, choices are there, I would recommend... Uh, Shane and Shane's Psalm 46. Those are two of my favorite musicians, and uh, it's a very powerful song. Finally, I'll just leave you with this verse. It's from Isaiah 41. The Lord says, Do not fear, for I'm with you. Do not be afraid, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Lord, thank you for today. Just pray for everyone listening to this that it would be an encouragement to them. And we just thank you for speaking to us and for being strong for us and for being near to us. Thank you that you're going to take care of us, Lord. We have nothing to fear. In the name of Jesus, amen. And that's all for this week's episode of the Washita Chapel podcast. Special thanks to the Rogers Department of Communication for the use of their studio. We also want to thank Noah James for permission to use his music on the podcast. You can follow Campus Ministries on Instagram and Twitter as at OBUCM. 
And if you'd like to learn more about Washita or the Pruitt School of Christian Studies where Dr. Duvall teaches, you can find us online at obu.edu. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and we'll be back again next week. <laughs>